ask you to grab your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and our text this morning will be verses 25 through 34. We're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and very much so, this passage is very much following an important passage that we just looked at, the choices that we have to choose to make God our treasure or the things of this world. And in response to that, we have the application of our passage, and really, it's very simple. And Jesus really drives it home for us this morning. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Bobby McFerrin wrote a very simple song. Don't worry, be happy. Maybe a song that you know, ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord says your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. Even from secular point of view, we know that worry is not a positive thing. Anxiety is nothing good for our body and really what we're going to see for our soul. But can it be that simple? Just be happy. The world really tries to approach worry and anxiety with a very therapeutic way of responding. And some go as simply just to digest songs such as this, a positive mind of don't worry, be happy. Listen to some of the comments after this song. This song is the ultimate cure for depression, and I'm grateful that it exists. April 2022, still listening every morning, calming and makes the anxiety and worry go away. Thanks, Bobby. I'm having such a stressful and bad day today, but this song honestly makes everything a bit better. Heart emoji. Worry and anxiety is far more serious than a simple song of be happy can help us with. There's actually a biblical response to anxiety and worry, and that's what we have in our passage this morning. Something that we can all really understand. There's not a soul in this room that hasn't dealt with or struggled with worry and anxiety. Whether it's finances, gas prices, the weather, We've all experienced it, and this morning I want us to look at the commands of Christ to his followers. Do not be anxious. I've entitled this message, Don't Worry. I want us to look at three things. What is the command? Why should I obey the command? And how can I obey this command? So number one, what is the command? Let's look at verse 25 again. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I think this is very important for us to just kind of meditate and think on this very point, that this is a command from Jesus. Don't worry or really just stop worrying 
Do not be anxious. So if it's a command from Jesus and we worry, we're breaking a command. And in its very simplest form, we're sinning in our worry and in our anxiety. It's a very serious matter, so much so that we might quite possibly make light of this command. We allow worry and anxiety to flood into our lives and we search for other resolutions, solutions to our problem, some way to solve the issues of financial or health or whatever might come in our way. But worry is not to be in the life of a believer, Jesus Christ. So this is a serious matter. See, to be anxious means to be worried about something. It's a state of unease, a state of unease that is there because you don't know how things will turn out. A state of unease because you don't know how things will turn out. It's wrapped up in our thinking and in our reflections. Your mind is so attentive to this worry, to this object, to this thing so much that nothing else can come into your mind and your heart. It really takes hold of you. This gets very serious when we begin to lose sleep and our health begins to suffer because of our anxiety and worry. Some of us find ourselves before a doctor or worse, in the emergency room. Something that's plagued all of America, but even comes into the church. Worry and anxiety. Jesus speaks here just of the life going beyond these basic things of food and drink. We could extend this list out to things such as gas and bills and housing and transportation, education, work-related issues, house chores, parenting troubles, and the list could go on and on, but they begin to pile up on our backs and shoulder and to weigh us down. And Jesus simply says, do not worry. See, if our God is the things of this world, if that's our true master and treasure, the response is to worry. And it goes beyond just the physical things because there's really a heart issue at hand when worry and anxiety takes hold of us. And that's what Jesus wants us to watch out for. We should not make these basic things ultimate things because God is ultimate in our lives. Really, this is illustrated in another way. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable of four different kinds of soils that the message goes out, the gospel message comes upon. And that third soil is the thorny soil. In verse 22, Jesus says in explaining this parable, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares, or we could say, but the worries or the anxieties of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. That's what happens. Worry settles in, and it begins to choke the word. 
It begins to choke out the good things, the better thing, the better one, our love and treasure for God. So we allow these basic things to distract us from our families, from our work, from sleep and rest, our marriages, our church, and ultimately our souls. We make minor things into major things. We make these basic things into catastrophic issues that need to be solved, that we're longing for a solution, we're trying to work out a solution, and it just invades every bit of our life until it is resolved. So very simply, what is in your life this morning that's choking out the better thing? What is it in your life that you can't sleep at night or that you can't put your mind on anything else except for trying to solve the issue at hand? In our passage, it's drink or food or clothing. It can be bills. It can be job. It can be issues within the family, whatever it might be, these basic things that we actually make into issues and what is choking out your love and treasuring God most. What's controlling you? That's what worry does. Worry controls us and causes us to do things that we'd rather not do. Puts us in a spiritual mindset, a, a mental mindset where we're vulnerable. So what's controlling you this morning? The command is don't worry. Good question for us is do my children see me as an anxious man or a man that trusts the Lord? Do my neighbors see me as an anxious man, a man that worries, or do they see me as a man that trusts in the Lord? What about for you this morning? The command is do not worry. So why should we obey this command? Why should we put time to be sure that we are obeying the command? Well, it is a command, and if therefore we're sinning if we're allowing worry to take over us. If anxiety is settling in and distracting us from the better things, from the better one, then we are sinning. So that in itself is enough motivation for the true believer to say, okay, anxiety and worry, I don't want it to have a foothold in my life. But there's other things that Jesus gives us here. Let's look at verses 26 through 27. It's what worry is and what it can't do and what it does do. Verses 26 through 27. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Jesus brings it down to his listeners and says, just look, observe this small creature, a creature that has very little significance or really very little cost in our world. The world does not stop when a bird is born. And the world does not stop when a bird falls out of the heavens. Life goes on. And he speaks about the provision that God has for this little creature. And he says, aren't you more than that? 
He's created you in his image. You are an image bearer. He loves you and cares for you and created for you, created you. You are more value than the birds of the air. He can for sure provide for you. And that's what he's getting at here is that God is our provider. When we treasure him, when he becomes our master, we can know with peace and certainty that he is the great provider. But really, what can it do? Worry cannot add anything. It has no positive product in your life. It says it can't add an hour to your life. Or if we were wanting to go by measurement, it can't add a cubic to your height. It does nothing positive for you. It has nothing to offer for you. Worry cannot add to our lives, but only instead subtracts. It distracts us from seeing him as the provider in the basic things of life. Fathers, we are fixers. We love to fix things. Some of us love to fix things. Our wives would like for us to be better fixers, but we love to fix things. There's a problem in the household. We want to solve that problem. I'm thankful for the men, a part of this body, that love to provide for our families. But could it be sometimes we allow our careers and jobs to become more than that? To distract us from the greater things in life, our family, but most importantly, God? That we become so consumed with this title of provider that we actually rob God of this wonderful attribute as the great provider. This doesn't warrant slothfulness, but in the name of provision, it doesn't warrant neglect. When we allow things to cause us to worry, we forget who God is in his very simplest of nature. A provider loves to care for his children, loves to provide for us. And us men must come underneath that. Moms, you love to provide and meet the needs of your children. But are you allowing worry and anxiety to take hold of you that that's become a distraction for you? Losing sleep over minor things, the basic things where God says, I love you and will care for you. The parallel passage that we have here actually ends with what we had in the passage before. Where it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our anxieties and worries often reveal our true treasure. So think about that this morning. Your worries, your fears, your anxieties, the things that keep you up at night, the things that wake you up early, the things that distract you from focusing, those are often your treasure. Worry cannot add anything productive or good to our lives. That's what Jesus is getting at. We should trust him. We should value him above all else. And find comfort in the fact that he values us. That he provides for those that he's made in his image. The basic things. Worry also and subtracts, really, verses 28 through 30. 
Another illustration here. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Yet again, another illustration. Look out there. Look at how they're clothed. So he, his illustration is illustrated further by bringing up Solomon. I think it's worth flipping to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10, this glory that we hear about of Solomon, we know that God blessed him in a wonderful way, that he asked for wisdom and discernment to lead the people of God. Very wise decision in itself, but he asked for wisdom, and God gave him more than what he asked for. Riches, and really very extravagant riches. Verse 4 of 1 Kings chapter 10, it says, When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her, breathtaking, as she took it all in. Jesus is illustrating what he does to the things that are alive today and gone tomorrow. The things that are thrown into the furnace today and gone, he clothes better than Solomon. He meets our most basic needs and goes beyond that and clothing us, caring for us, providing for us. What a beautiful illustration. But really, we're getting to the heart of worry here. As he goes on down and he begins to ask the question, will he not clothe you, oh, you of little faith? Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting to the heart of why worry is such a serious thing because worry is the root of unbelief. Really what we're getting at is that our worry is us not believing and trusting in God. Oh, you of little faith. A phrase that Jesus loves to use quite often. Let's look at a few of those instances. I'd flip over a page or two to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Takes his disciples, he says, says in verse 23, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Not remembering who was in the boat with them, the one that controls the seas, that's in charge of all creation, that, that was the one that created all things, was there in the boat with them. Why are you worried, O oh, you of little faith? When the storms of life come raging in, oftentimes we begin to doubt. We allow the storms to cause fear in our lives, and the response that we should have is trusting in the Lord. And his response to us when we worry is, oh, you of little faith. Flip on over to chapter 14, 
more water, more boats. Jesus walking on the water. Peter being the bold disciple that he was. Asked the Lord to call him out so he could walk on the water too. He said, come. Verse 30. But when he, that's Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The wind and the waves were greater than who he was looking at at that time. Doubt and worry and anxiety douses our faith and the one provider who loves us and cares for us. It's a very serious thing when we think about the fact that he has given us his word that tells story after story after story of miraculous miracles of him intervening in the lives of the most likely stories of him and, and, and words that describe his faithfulness even when his people are not faithful and his power even when his people are powerless Describes how he cares for his people and the pleas for us to come to him. For us to long to trust him in every matters of life. And yet we doubt. Then we have the personal stories. You could look back from the years past and you can say, yes, he provided. Yes, it was a tough season, but he still provided over and over and over again. We could begin this afternoon and spend the rest of the day telling story after story after story of him providing and meeting the most basic needs, even when we thought that there was no hope at all. And yet we doubt. What worry does, it subtracts. It douses our faith. It causes us to be blind and not see that there is someone who cares for us and loves us. And that is Jesus Christ distracts us. Look at verses 31 and 33 back in verse chapter 6. Worry distracts us. Why should we obey the command? Well, worry doesn't add anything, but instead subtracts and also distracts us. 31. Therefore, do not be anxious yet again saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He points to the Gentiles, the one that doesn't know God, that doesn't worship the God of the Scriptures, the one that is a false, worships the false gods, a pagan. The pagan worries about these things. The pagan allows these things to just unravel their minds and hearts. They're the ones that lose sleep over these things. They seek these things. Seek. It's a word that has the idea of focus, concentration on a particular object. Just very intent concentration on something. Nothing will get in the way of this. Children... You understand this with the very simple game of hide and seek. 
There's one that goes and hides, or several that goes and hides, but there's that one seeker. It does not matter if they need to go to the bathroom, if it's dinner time, they have one object before them, finding every single soul that is hiding from them at that point. It's the same idea as a treasure hunter that's looking for that buried treasure, that no matter how many dead ends he comes up to, the thought of one day finding that treasure just causes him to spend his whole life searching, focused concentration on finding that buried treasure. The ones that don't know the Lord, they seek that treasure, drink and food and clothing. Those are the things that they can't get past. Those are the things that they seek. Worry distracts us from seeking the better one, and that is God. Worry distracts us. And then very quickly, worry also can't tell the future. He says in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its troubles. I mean, you've had these seasons. Whether it's finances, it's bills that need to be paid, it's job issues, issues with the vehicle, and you're struggling. The doubt settles in, and what we begin to do is we begin to just make up what's going to happen. Now, we don't have the money for this, so this is going to happen. We're going to look to the future and say, no food, no bills. What are we going to do? How is this going to work? We begin to try to play like we're God and we know the future. But Jesus says it doesn't. We don't know the future, and worry can't tell us the future. It's not that if we think and concentrate on so much that, boom, we're going to realize, oh, wait, I don't have to worry in two days because this is going to resolve this problem. Worry can't tell the, the future. Jesus is not instructing us to be passive, though. Instead, he wants us to not worry nor give worry the upper hand for tomorrow. Yet again, this points us back to the fact that worry can't add anything positive to our lives. Worry can't do anything good for your soul and mind. It instead subtracts and douses our faith. It distracts us from the better one and treasuring God, and it can't tell the future. So how can you and I obey this command? Going back up to verse 33, in comparison to that of the Gentiles, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So we had a, something that we're to pursue instead. We're supposed to pursue, hunt for, long for, desire for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is a theme throughout all the Gospels. A very simple way of saying it comes about through salvation, but it's us coming underneath the reign and rule of God. It's us understanding that he's in control of all things, and we should submit to his will perfectly, his righteousness. It's actually reversing everything that we naturally do. This all comes about through saving faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and continues through the daily depending and obeying his word. 
John MacArthur says, seeking God's kingdom is losing ourselves in obedience to the Lord. So he doesn't want us to hunger and thirst for food and drink, but going back to chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We instead have a different hunger and thirst as the people of God. We are to pursue and seek his righteousness, his will, his plan, his word, his way. Really what Jesus is getting at is stop looking to yourself. Because worry is so self-centered, he wants us to take our eyes off of our situation and our issues and look to him instead. Because that's what we do. We're a people that so easily get distracted with ourselves. But he wants us to look to him instead. So in applying this, let's look at three things. First, provision. Provision. We must remember that God provides all of our needs. Every bit of it. He is the great provider, and he's able, and he does it. He cares for us. Our fighter verse in verse 7 for this next week, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Listen, dear believer, when has he ever failed you? He hasn't. He's always cared and provided for you perfectly. Maybe not on our time, but on his time and in his way. We need to remember that he is the great provider and ultimately anything that we're able to put on the table or in the bank account or resolve is all his gracious hand and work in our lives. He is the great provider. Don't allow the, the area that we, we live in, these texts, to, do, to distract you. Allow yourself to look at the birds of the air, look at the fields, and know that he cares and provides for the smallest of his creation. He much so cares for you. So much more is his image bears. Remember that he is the provider. Number two, prayer. Worry reminds us that we're probably not praying like we should. And really there's very a close connection here. Paul mentions this in Philippians 4 verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to him. Prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer. Plead to him. Often our first response is not to drop to our knees, but instead to get a piece of paper and figure out how we're going to resolve this issue. But we're to go to him. He wants us. He cares for us. He wants us to cast our anxieties on him. He wants us to lean into him, and we do that through prayer. And then lastly, pursuit. Remember to pursue God. He is ultimate. The basic things of life often crowd our minds and hearts and distract us from him being the better treasure. Don't allow that to be the case this morning. Look to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest treasure. Know and pursue him. Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God 
must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We have the stories. We know of his faithfulness. We have the scriptures that remind us over and over again how powerful and good he really is. Dear friend, if you haven't understood that he is the provider, there's something you should know that you are desperately in need of a savior. Your sin has put you at odds with the creator of the universe, a holy God, and there is absolutely no way that you could resolve this situation, that you could reconcile this relationship back to him. There's no way that you could bring an offering that would please him or an act that would say, okay, I'll look away. Your sin is deserving of death and punishment. And outside of Jesus Christ, that will come. But he, being the great provider, provided his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, who paid the penalty for our sins. And through faith and repentance in him and his work on the cross, you can be brought near to a great God that loves you and will care for you and will provide for you. One that you can trust in the most difficult circumstances and the greatest storms, whether it's health that you're struggling with, whether it's finances that you're struggling with, he loves you and cares for you. But seek him, dear believer, seek him. Pursue his righteousness. Remember who he is, is the great provider. Don't worry. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your kindness. Father, each and every day are new mercies that we see. Father, just in you providing our every basic needs like life this morning. We've all been given breath and the ability to come here this morning and worship you to fellowship with one another and we thank you for your good provision pray that we would never take that for granted and that for the basic things of life lord we would not allow these things to distract us that we wouldn't allow the sin of anxiety and worry to settle in our hearts and control us but we would look to you instead that we wouldn't be distracted and we wouldn't waste our time fretting Lord, remember your good and great provision for the soul in this room that yet has to repent and believe. Lord, awaken their eyes. Let them see their need for the great provision, your son, Jesus Christ, for sin and salvation. Lord, we love you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.